We're going to be sharing a meal together out of Mark chapter 4. At Crossway, we are working through the book of Mark, and we've been studying through and getting to this. And I want you to recognize that we don't just get to take and pull verses out of their context. Verses come from books. And in this book of Mark, Mark is doing something very specifically. The book of Mark divides up into really three questions with one question for a response. The first of those questions is, who is Jesus? And that's chapters 1 through 8. That's the part that we're going to be looking at. Who is Jesus? And and what is this kingdom that he's talking about? And what everyone is realizing is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, but he's not the one that they expected. He's not like what they expected. And so the next part begins with Peter's confession, and they answer the question, what kind of a Messiah will Jesus be? And what we see is Jesus is the full embodiment of God who came to die on the cross for sinners. And then the final part of the book looks at how will Jesus become the king. And Jesus rises to the throne in a very different manner than most people rise to the throne. Most people rise to the throne by being born into it or political maneuvers. But Jesus was killed and defeated the king of darkness. He defeated Satan on the cross and rose to the throne, rose from the grave. And the book of Mark ends very abruptly and asks a question that's kind of been trailing us the whole time we look through the book. How will you respond to Jesus, the crucified King? Will you flee or will you follow Jesus? And this morning we're looking at a passage in that first part and Jesus is beginning to explain the metrics of His kingdom. Now, at this point in the book of Mark, the messianic fever was high. Everyone heard about this man who was casting out demons, who was healing people who were sick. They were seeing people who once couldn't walk, now they could walk. People who were blind and now they could see. People who had no control over themselves and now they are sane and in their right mind. And it began to spread. And the Bible tells us that people come from all over to hear Jesus preach to be healed by him from all over the world. So much so that the crowds are so big that the Bible tells us Jesus can't even find time to eat. In fact, the crowds would have pressed on him so much that Jesus would have died because everyone wanted something from him. And so people were coming up with conclusions about who is this Jesus. And the crowds as a whole said, Jesus, we don't know. He's pretty cool. He's awesome. But... We're not exactly sure who he is, so we'll sit back and we'll watch, which is an undecided position. That's where most of the crowds were sitting. And then we see Jesus' family, they didn't made up their mind. They saw all these crowds coming. They saw that Jesus kept saying things that were angering the religious leaders, continued to rile things up, and they said, he's absolutely crazy. He's lost it. That's who Jesus is. And then there's one group who hates Jesus. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. And their conclusion about who Jesus is, is he's demon-possessed. He's come from the demons, and that's how he does this power. Jesus dispelled that. And then the disciples, you can imagine, they're wondering, how. why is the Messiah, why is this king, why is he taking this? 
Why doesn't he just say straight out what he is or who he is? What's going on here? And so Jesus begins to answer these questions in parables. Now, the section that we are in is a section of four parables. We looked at at Crossway the first of these parables, which is the parable of the soils. And in that, we begin to see how different people respond to Jesus, the Messiah. Some people, when the seed of the Word of God is planted in their hearts, those people immediately harden and reject it so that the seed is carried away. Those with hard hearts, the gospel doesn't penetrate. There are others who have shallow soil in their lives and immediately it begins to spring up. But the moment that difficulty and hardness comes along, they fade away. And and that was the crowds in this scenario. Because later on, as Jesus begins to preach a hard message, as Jesus begins to talk about dying and begins to tell people, take up your cross and follow me, they weren't as excited about following him. And many, they flared up, they were excited, they were in those crowds, they were cheering his praises they fell away. And then we see another group. These are those with a cluttered heart. Their heart is full of all sorts of other things in their life. And they respond to the Word by saying, yeah, we can add that to everything else we've got. And in the end, there's not enough nutrients to continue to allow that seed to grow, and it is choked out. And then finally, we see a miraculous harvest. We see a seed that is planted in the soil, and out of that soil grows 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. When you look at what was expected in normal harvest, about 6 to 8-fold, and if you got 10, that was a bumper crop, Jesus is saying there is something that will happen to you in your heart when Jesus' word penetrates, when it, that it changes you, and it's outside of our human ability to explain. And so Jesus continues to teach through these parables, and this morning we're going to look at three parables. I know it's a whole lot to take in one, especially when I have an introduction that's this long. We'll look at these three parables, and these three parables link together to help us be able to see something that is really important for us to understand, and that is this. When the light of Jesus shines, it will have an impact that is greater than we can even imagine. When the light of Jesus shines through our churches, in our town, it will have an impact that is far greater than we can imagine. Let's look in our Bibles at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket? or under a bed, and not under a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone hears, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, has, more will be given." And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Lord, work in us today as we see your word. Lord, I pray that you would allow the seed of your word to penetrate deeply into our hearts. Lord, we know that that is not something that we can manufacture or something that we can do. It is a work of your spirit. And Lord, as I speak Would you use the feebleness of preaching to convince souls of your truth? And Lord, would we emerge from this place a people who are passionate, 
on fire for sharing the light of the gospel in a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first point that we're going to look at this morning is an answer to a question. How to respond to the kingdom's light? How do we respond to the kingdom's light? And the answer is this. Shine Jesus' revealed light. Now, you'll have to be patient with me today. I'm used to preaching with a screen in which my notes are on the screen. And so when I miss something, everybody gets them anyways. If I miss something today, just start flagging me, throw stuff at me, figure it out, because I know how bad it is to finish an outline and realize I missed a, I missed a blank. So well, that'll, that'll help you. And frankly, I gave you those blanks and I gave you those so that throughout the week, as you study this passage, as you allow it to penetrate into your heart, you can learn more about what God has to say to us. The reality is the work that needs to be done in our hearts won't be done in the 40-some minutes that I preach. It's a work that God needs to do and wants to do in that. So on the back of your bulletin, you'll see a couple of questions. I think there's four questions on there. So it'll help you dive a little bit more deeply into this passage and apply it into your heart and in your life. This morning... We're looking first at how to respond to the kingdom's light. And the first thing that we need to recognize in this is to discover the power of the light. That's not in your notes, but we're going to look at it first. Discover the power of the light. The Bible says, and he said, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, I want you to notice uh, something that's a little bit different here. Um, the New Testament, the Greek New Testament, translates this word "a lamp" as "the lamp." It's a definite article. Jesus here is not just saying there's a general principle here. Jesus is introducing himself as the lamp. Is the lamp to be put under a basket or under a bed? The lamp fits better in this context and throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, God himself is referred to as a lamp, particularly in his law. He says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The lamp fits better into the context of Mark when we're talking about it being Jesus. Mark is asking us the question, remember, who is this Jesus? What kind of a kingdom will he have? And he is the answer. John gives us this answer really clearly in the beginning of his book. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life, get this, the life was the light of men. And the Bible tells us the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Without the definite article, we may miss the significance of what Jesus is saying here. R.C. Sproul quotes it this way and says, I did not come here to be concealed forever. I came here as a lamp that is to be set on a lampstand so that the light that I bring may burst forth and manifest itself clearly to all who dwell in darkness. I did not come to be covered with a basket or hidden under a bed. I came to shine the gospel. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 14 that this was Jesus' message. Don't go to Mark 14. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. The Bible says, the time is fulfilled. This is Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled, 
The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus began to go out as a light. And people began to see those promises from the Old Testament that were now beginning to shine, beginning to come alive. There was one who healed the sick. There was one who made the blind see, who made the lame walk. And they began to echo in their minds, is it him? Is he the promised Messiah? The lamp began to shine. Now, I have one of these lamps on my desk at home. Uh, a, a man gave it to me, and I didn't really realize how cool it was until I began to look at it this week. Um, the lamp is from the period of 900 B.C. to 800 B.C. So just to give you a little bit of context, that's from King Ahab in the Bible to King Uzziah in the Bible. This lamp was possibly in existence when Ahab led the people of Israel away from the lamp, away from the light of God's Word into idolatry, and Elijah stood before them and called them to worship the one true God, and God brought down light from heaven that consumed the altar. The light shone in 900 B.C. This is the same light that shines, the light of Jesus that shines before the throne that Isaiah the prophet stood and he's surrounded at the throne of God with the light and that light was taken off of the altar and burning his lips, purifying him. That is the lamp that we're talking about. This lamp was promised from the very beginning, from the, from the beginning of man's sin, and it flows throughout Scripture until here it is coming closer and closer and being more and more illuminated. But I also want you to recognize the lamp that they talk about is a tiny light. I almost brought in my headlamp that I, ride, that I wear when I ride my motorcycle. It's like two headlamps in just one little light. It's bright. And I think when we think of a lamp that's going to give light, we think of something that's super bright. But this is probably a, a six-inch dish with one of the ends pinched. And then in that, they would lay a wick. And that wick would be lit. It would soak with oil. And it would burn. And it would give light to a house. But think about a lamp like that. You can't just set it on the floor because it's not going to light up the house. It, it needs to be placed in a prominent place. Matthew says this when he quotes this parable from Jesus. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do a people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This Jesus who said, I am the light of the world, enters into our lives and He shines light in the dark places. He illuminates our sin. He shows us why we do not have a relationship with Him. And He calls us to come to Him. He calls us to repent before Him. This is the plea throughout this passage. Listen. Listen to what I have to say. Do not hide the light of the gospel. Instead, display it on a prominent place so that it may bring light to the whole house. And so now we come to the first point that is in there in your notes. Display or hide. Display or hide. And he said, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus' disciples may have wondered, if you're the lamp, 
why don't you shine a little bit more brightly? If you're the lamp, why don't you speak about it a little bit more clearly? But one commentator said this, only that which is first hidden can be found. Jesus, the light of this world, was faithfully shining His light that was masked at least in part by His humanity. Jesus would not lay aside His humanity because Jesus came to die for humanity. That was the temptation that nagged Jesus the whole time through His ministry is to reveal the full glory that He deserved, which Jesus was fully God, but Jesus was also fully man. And so Jesus shone in the light. You see, Jesus was not the Messiah that people expected. He came to reveal the Gospel, which would culminate in His death for man's sin. Jesus, the full embodiment of God's glory, as we see in the light of His transfiguration, came to suffer and to die for His people. This passage calls us to display the light and reminds us that failure to display the light is hiding the light. You know, we live in a world that very much prefers darkness over light. We live in a dark world, and it is growing darker. People like to dwell, as the Bible here says, they like to dwell in secret so that their evil deeds will not be revealed. In fact, I guarantee you in a room this size, there are some of us who have some evil deeds that we would like no one to know about. But let me remind you, the light of Jesus shines, and it reveals those places. We often fear the light because it's going to expose our sin. And it is in our nature to shield ourselves from the light and to hide our secrets. But let me remind you as well, it is impossible to quench light. Have you ever gone into a room and there's a closet in that room? And you go in and you open the closet. And as you open the closet, all of the darkness from in that closet just floods into the room. It's not how it works, is it? When you open that, the, the darkness always flees in light. Even the very smallest light eradicates darkness. In God's kingdom, everything is hidden. Everything that is hidden, every sin will one day be revealed. Remember, these are kingdom parables. They're telling us a truth about eternity. Now let me remind you, not only is that true about you, that everything will one day be revealed, but that is true about everyone who lives in our town. That is true about everyone who lives in our area. It's true about everyone that lives in the world. We will all one day stand before the light of Jesus Christ, and His light will shine. You realize there are really people in our world that die and go to hell. I know that's not a popular message. I know that people don't like to think about that. But it's true. That is why it is so vital that those who have been given the light of Jesus, let it shine. Our God has given us the privilege to shine the light of the gospel. And I think sometimes we think, well, as believers, I got to manufacture this. I got to figure out how to shine. But remember, it's the light who is Jesus. If Jesus has worked in our hearts and His gospel has transformed us and is transforming us, His light can and will shine through us. Jesus is reminding them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in this, the siren call through this passage echoes over and over through this parable and through the, the previous parable. It says, if anyone hears, let him hear. 
Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. So not only do we have this decision, do we display or do we hide? Do we place it in a prominent place or do we place it under a basket? We also are called to listen instead of ignore. So we have the question, will you listen or ignore the call of Jesus, the light of Jesus? So Jesus calls out with this siren call to listen. And it echoes through this. Notice Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus begins this set of parables, sitting in the boat, proclaiming these across the water. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. He ends that plea, that public discourse on that parable by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. And once again in this passage, He calls out, If anyone has ears, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear. Oh, that this would be the call of our churches in our town. Listen, if you have ears, pay attention to the Word. Pay attention to the Gospel. The light of the world has come to overcome your darkness, to fill you with its light. Come to Him. Trust in Him. This is the plea of the Gospel. The light is shining. Listen. Come to it. Then we're given a warning in this last two verses of this first parable. Mark chapter 4, verse 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now this is where parables really begin to shine as parables. It's a little bit difficult at times to be able to understand, especially this part, because it's talking and repeating and kind of working. But there's a piece that we tend to miss as we read this. There's a word play between this word measure and the word basket. The word basket in the beginning is a very unique Greek word. It, it means a unit of measure. And frankly, it's only used in this parable when it's shared in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a measure that was about two gallons. And so what Jesus here is saying is the basket that you use to cover the light could be used as a basket with which to disperse God's good gifts or to disperse the light. Though I know that light doesn't necessarily come out of a basket. The idea is, how are you going to turn your basket? Is your basket going to be turned over to be able to cover the light? Or will your basket be turned over to be able to reveal and give the light to others? R.C. Spohr writes this, So it is as if Jesus was saying that the same size basket we put over the lamp will be put over us. If we hide His light completely, whatever light we have had will be taken away. Conversely, by the same measure we manifest Jesus, He will manifest His glory in us. If we shine the light, God will manifest His glory through us. Isn't that amazing? That God could take us, filthy wretches, with nothing good, and shine His light through us. That's what the Gospel does. It takes us from a place of brokenness and evil and begins to transform in us. But the other is also true. If we hide the light, the light that we had will be taken away. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not... And I think that's really a critical distinction to understand. 
Notice it does not say here, and from the one who is hiding the light. The reality is that if the light of the gospel has shown in your life, it has already worked its change and it will continue to shine. It will work. Yes, we go through bumps. We go through difficulties. But when Jesus starts a work in us, Jesus completes a work in us. What Jesus said is those who cover the light, those who ignore it, those who have hard hearts in the previous parable, those who have cluttered hearts, they're full of other things. Those who have shallow hearts, they never had the light in the first place. So those who do not have, even what he has will be taken away. So how do we respond? We shine the light in this lost and broken world. We allow the light of Jesus in this world to shine into our hearts, to transform us. And out of that transformed heart, we then shine into the world. Do not harden your heart to the Word. Respond and repent in the light. Now, I think it's important for us to recognize that as believers, there are times that we mask or we hide or we eclipse the light. What are some ways that we do that? Well, I think one of the most clear ways that we mask the light is we as Christians live impure, hypocritical lives. God calls us to shine the pure light of Jesus Christ. He doesn't call us to do whatever we want and just kind of tag Jesus along. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not have mercy, but now you have received mercy. Behold, I urge you as pilgrims, sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you realize that your life, the way you live, has a huge impact upon how people see the light of Jesus? I guarantee you, each of us have talked to someone who says, oh, I don't need Jesus because I know he doesn't really do anything because I know that guy. I know what he did. I know how he lives and the reality is we live in a world of Christians who say we can do what we want. But do you realize Jesus didn't free us to do whatever we want? He freed us to live the way that he created us. We were created to live in the light of God, to glorify him, to live for him, to praise him. And believers, you are free to live in the light. You are free to shine that light. Don't live in impurity. That's one of the ways that we hide the light. Another way is we are, we are silent and we're fearful. We're afraid that someone will reject us. When Paul is writing to Timothy, that last book, I can imagine Timothy, the young Timothy, was a little bit frightened. His mentor was in prison. That prison sentence would end with Paul being pulled up out of that hole that they called a prison, and his head would be lopped off, and Timothy knew this. And the call to Timothy over and over. He says, 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. When the gospel penetrates our lives, the Bible says that fear will flee. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm fearful to walk across the street and talk to my neighbors to develop a relationship with them. Sometimes I'm fearful about that. Maybe you're better off than I am. But the reality is we often are fearful. Do you realize an understanding of the light of Jesus casts out fear? So much so that Paul says to Timothy, fan the flame. What happens when you fan coals in a fire? Light emerges and it burns hotter. So I encourage you, instead of fleeing in fear, hiding the light, fan the flames. Fan the flames by gathering with the body. Fan the flames by reading the Bible. Fan the flames when you're struggling by going to your pastor and talking and getting that counsel that you need. Fan the flames that God is working in your hearts. Another way that we hide the light is through isolationism. Through isolationism. This is kind of a response to our culture that is growing darker and darker. And we look at our culture and we say, man... If we spend time in the culture, we'll become dark like that. And there's a piece of that that is true. But I want to remind you that the gospel has given us the freedom and the power to engage our culture and not be transformed by the culture. We are called to be in the world as light and not to take ourselves out of the world. There is a tendency, especially within conservative churches, to kind of circle the wagons to make kind of a Christian ghetto where we all speak the same language, we all do the same things. And Have you ever been camping and everyone's wearing headlamps? Do you know what happens when you come together and everyone's wearing headlamps? Those lights are used to blind you instead of to be able to walk out into the night. And I think that that's often what happens inside of our churches. We consume upon the gospel. Remember, the gospel wasn't made just for us to take. The gospel was made for us to shine and to give to others a stagnant gospel, gospel that only remains within these walls, is not the gospel. And finally, the last of these that we want to look actually, not the last one, I put a bunch of these in here. Um, Often we depend on human ability and reasoning. We think to ourselves, you know, I think I'm going to give God an assist here. We just need to get people in the doors, so we need to hire a better worship team, We need to be able to pass out candy at the doors. It's happening today in Colorado in a church. The reality is there are people who say, man, if we can just get people in here, then we can sneak the gospel in. But that's not how light works. Light isn't to be snuck in at the back of the service and maybe figured out. Light is what leads. Light is what guides. I could spend a lot of time on that, but I'm not going to. Another way, and I think this is probably the number one way that When I hide the light, it's the way that I live, is I underestimate God's ability. You know, often as a preacher, we preach and we don't always see fruit. We preach and we preach and I preach, and this is a this is a burden that is on our hearts as pastors of these two churches. We wonder, is it working? Is the light working? What it said it was, and by the way, the the next two confront this thinking. We become tired and discouraged. 
You say, man, I, I've witnessed to my neighbor or I've witnessed to my family member and they still are rejecting and now I, I feel even more hopeless. And we begin to wonder, is God's promise true? Does God really have this power? And even saying those things makes you begin to feel really bad. But let me remind you this about our city. God has many in this city who are His people. Many people who He has already called out and chosen, and God desires to use you as a light to bring them to Jesus. The Bible tells us this, the harvest is plentiful. What's the problem? The laborers are few. Often we live and we become churches that are very satisfied within these walls. We underestimate the great work that God wants to do in our town through our churches. When the light of Jesus shines through our churches in our town, it will have an impact that is greater than we can even imagine. I know that. Do you know why? That's what the next two passages say. These next two parables. And you say, if you're going to spend that long on all of them, we're going to be in trouble. I'm not. I promise you. The next two are a little bit easier to understand. In this next parable, I want us to see how do we respond to the kingdom's harvest? I want us to wait for God's certain harvest. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as a man who should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and seeds sprout and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I remember Tally brought home a little cup. And in that cup, there were seeds. And I remember Tally and Karis sitting in front of that cup with seeds, staring, <laughs> waiting for the grass that was in it to grow. And they waited and they waited and they looked at us and said, what's wrong? Like, it should be working by now. We live in a culture that expects everything instantly. In fact, the idea of a harvest, something that takes longer than the 30 seconds in the microwave to heat it back up, is sometimes difficult for us. But Jesus here helps us to understand that when His light shines, it will bring a harvest. Here we have to look back at to the key of these parables, which is that first parable. And in that parable, we see that the seed here is the Word of God. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And when the man scatters seed, does he go out and coach the seed? Come on, grow! Let's go! Let's go! Time to go! No. What does he do? He goes and he sleeps and he waits. The reality is often when we share the gospel, when we shine the light, we say, well, I mean, now what? <laughs> Do you realize that there are times in our lives in which we may wait an entire lifetime? We may never see the fruit of the seed that we have sown. But let me remind you of some glorious promises in God's Word. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Do you realize in each of your laps, you are holding the oldest preserved book more than any others? This is God's word. 
And it is true. It will not fail. Isaiah also says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purposed, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God uses His word to build His kingdom, whether we see it or not. When you walk across the street and you develop a relationship with your neighbor and you invite them into your home so that you are at such intimacy with them that you can share the gospel, God will work. Well, how do I know that? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, to the joints of the marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. No creature, not even your neighbor, not even your family member that has heard the gospel and rejected it. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do not be discouraged in much sowing because God promises that there will be a harvest. It's his law of the harvest Adoniram Judson, a missionary to Burma, waited six years of preaching before he saw his first convert. And on that day, he wrote in his journal, Oh, may it prove to the beginning of a series of baptisms in, Burman, in the Burman Empire, which shall continue uninterrupted, continue in uninterrupted success to the end of the age. Do you know what happened? Converts were added slowly. A second, then three, then six, and on to 18. I remember when I was 17, I went to Burma and I got to see some of these converts. Your pastor has been to Burma and met some of these people. Why? Because God's harvest that began with small seeds planted by Adoniram Judson is still bringing forth fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. You may say, but hold on. Castle Rock's different than other places. We would agree with that. They have everything, and and in a way, they, they have need of nothing. The gospel doesn't seem to attract them in the midst of all of their things. Most people would rather be spending Sunday doing something else, going to brunch, hiking, camping, playing in the mountains. Even Jesus said, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? But you stop short in that passage. When you say, man, it's going to be hard, and I'm not sure we'll see, a, we'll see a fruit. Because Jesus goes on as he's responding to the rich young ruler, and he says, the disciples ask, then who then could be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Do you realize that our city needs a good dosing of Jesus? They need the light. And you have it. We have it. May we shine that light and wait on our sovereign Lord who knows best to bring forth fruit. So we may think, well, okay, I can do that and I'll wait for the trickle. I'll I'll wait for it to, to come. But the Bible tells us something greater than we can imagine happens. Look at verse 30. 
And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that birds of the air can make nests in its shades. How do we respond to the kingdom's growth? Expect God's exponential growth. Discover growth from a tiny beginning. Small seeds make big plants. I, I know that's really simple. Do you realize that's God's illustration of the kingdom? The small seeds, the little things that we do and that we shine as light have eternal ramifications. I can't even quantify in my mind eternity. Do you realize you can have two eternities on top of each other and it never even adds a minute to the first eternity? I mean, my mind, when I think about eternity, immediately begins to go, because I can't get it. We're so bound to time. Do you realize the light that we shine in this world has eternal impacts? It does work. It is effective. The harvest is certain. But God will do something larger than we can imagine. And let me illustrate that to you. The work of the gospel in your heart. Could you have earned your salvation? Could you have done enough good things to appease our holy God? Absolutely not. The only thing that we added to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And it is because of Jesus and His great harvest in our lives, His light shone, and He has redeemed us, pulling us out of destruction. That is a, a little seed that had a huge impact, an eternal impact on our lives. Do you realize that can be multiplied over and over and over again as we look at God's seed entering into each of our lives? It comes in, and I can imagine a mustard seed is built in put in a garden on accident. You know, a kid puts it in there. What happens to the garden? Well, it becomes a mustard seed field. I mean, it's just all you got is this big, huge tree and nothing else grows in it. See, but will that happen? You realize our God has throughout the entire Bible used little, insignificant, weak things to have a huge impact. He chose Abraham and Sarah, a couple who had a real problem because God promised them, you will have as many children as the sands of the sea, and out of you I will bring a, a son who will bless all nations. But guess what? They had no son. And God, out of the barrenness of Sarah's womb, brought forth a child. Abraham said, I'm as much as dead. But by faith, God did a work that now we look back at and see with this one couple who had one promised son, now we see everything that God has done. He took a people that were crushed in slavery in Egypt and freed them to conquer the strongest nation in the world and then to move on and take over an entire territory. A small, insignificant nation took over everything because that's what our God does. Gideon. Gideon had an army. And God said, I'm sorry, it's too big. Can we downsize it a little bit? And God won a battle against the Philistines. 
that was more than we can imagine. My favorite Bible story, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Two guys, and they said this. Jonathan said, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And so two guys, one isn't even a trained soldier yet. He's an armor bearer. Two guys climb up and make as many, uh, the, the army was described as many as the sands of the sea. They run from two guys. Our God isn't limited by a small church. Our God isn't limited by small numbers. In fact, when you look at the Bible, numbers are not a good metric. Our God can do whatever He pleases and church, He desires to do that through you. He calls us to participate in His grand sovereign plan. What a privilege to know that when we go out and we witness, there will be souls because God has many people in this city. So what does our city need? Our city needs a people who will burn with the flame of Jesus Christ. I look at my neighbors. So many are far from the Lord. They're chasing after those things and they need to see a Christian ablaze and on fire. Do not hide the light that is shown into your heart. Do not be fearful. Do not underestimate the power of your God because He can do more than we could even ask or think. When the light of Jesus shines through our churches, in our town, it will have an impact that is greater than we can even imagine because God uses small things in this earth to accomplish big things for His kingdom. Let us pray before we respond to this message by singing. Father, as I preach this, I recognize that we are two small bodies. Lord, as we look at Your Word, we recognize that what You can do through a small body with Your light is beyond our imagination. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to shine Your light, to continue the mission that You have given us, to face the task that is unfinished in our city, but not just in our city, in our state, in our country, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, we desire that You spread Your light through us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.